Two of these people are imposters. Only one is the real Jesus Christ and is the only one sworn to tell the truth. What is your name, please? Well, uh, my name is Jesus. What is your name, please? Uh, my name is Jesus Christ. What is your name, please? I am Jesus Christ. And here is your host, right. Chuck Glint. Hey, thanks, folks. Thanks. Hey, appreciate it. Thank you. You heard it, folks. I'm America's favorite game show host, Chuck Glinty, with a T. That's right. Your favorite show to tell the truth. That's four T's, and you know me. I'm in the prime of my life. I'm four T. Let's get into it. Straight to business, I always say. Tonight, we've got a fantastic panel, and don't they look dandy. Panel number one, tell us your name. My name is Kitty Carlisle. My name is John Jeffries. My name is Mark Van Pelton. Well, golly, folks, that is a great panel. I tell you what, we're going to have a fantastic evening. Dandy, I tell you. As you heard, all three of these men claim to be the real Jesus Christ. Not true. Two of them are liars, and only one is telling the truth. Say, panel, you know how you get a bunch of R's to go to bed, don't you? You say, lie, R's. <laughs> And now for the affidavit. I am Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. I was raised in obscurity. I was my father's apprentice and became a carpenter until around 30, I traveled around Palestine preaching the kingdom of God that men should repent of their sin and trust in me, the way, the truth, and the life. Now, panel, We've heard all three men, and they've all said that they're indeed the real Jesus Christ. Only the real Jesus Christ, however, will be answering you truthfully. Seek him out by asking questions. Questions, I say. Ask him questions until you hear this signal. Now, let's begin today's round of questioning. Number one, are you Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Well, you know, I uh, pretty much am uh, the son of God. Uh, I'm uh, the Jesus, you know. Anyway, yep, I am. Number two, are you Jesus Christ, the son of God? Yes, I am. Number three, I would like to ask you the same question. What? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I have a dog. His, his name is Dog. You know, he went for cigarettes the other night, and he never came back. Bogus. I, th I think immigration might have snatched him up. He's a chihuahua. Holy crow, we're out of time. Can you believe it? I, I don't know who'd I choose. Golly, I'm glad I'm not in your seats. And America, I bet you're glad you're not in those seats either. Come on back here to, to tell the truth next week, and we'll find out which one of these three is, in fact, the real Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. 
I'm Mike Rutledge. I'm the director of arts here. And uh, it's so funny. Uh, I've actually seen a couple of those shows after their time, of course. But um, <laughs> just like to clarify that. The setup on that show was great, made for some pretty entertaining TV where they get this, these people trying to impersonate uh, some interesting character and, you know, always made for fun. You know, and we're kind of in a series right now that we're starting today uh, where we're sort of looking at, to tell the truth, kind of the format. We're trying to discover who Jesus was, and uh, this, the series is called The Enigma, The Puzzle of Christ, where we're uh, exploring the different pieces of Christ and what that means. And uh, over the next uh, four weeks, um, next week, Vlad is going to be talking about uh, the puzzle of his freedom, Jesus' freedom, where he, uh, we look at his uh, non-conventional following of the uh, religious order of the dominant faith at that time. And, and then uh, two weeks from now, Dave is going to be talking with you guys uh, about the puzzle of his kingdom, where we're going to be looking at a specific encounter that he had, Jesus had, with Pilate. And uh, trying to discover, was he really a king? And that leads right to Easter. Again, I just want to encourage you guys, get uh, tickets are available for Good Friday and, and for Easter services. And I, I just think one of the most valuable things uh, to, to really fully understand the glory of Jesus Christ's resurrection from uh, the dead, to experience a little bit uh, what the disciples and those that were close to him uh, on Good Friday, that his uh, tragic death and his t terrible death. So... Uh, Please, just, I think that during these next four weeks, God w desires to reveal a ton of very, very important truths to all of us. So mark your calendars and don't miss over these next few weeks, okay? And uh, today, that leads us to today, which we're looking at the puzzle of his claim. And uh, that's what we're going to be, I'm going to be jumping into that. Before I do, I, I just want to ask you guys a few questions. How many of you have found yourself, uh, how often do you find yourself in those to tell the truth moments? I mean, like, I don't mean where you're trying to prove yourself. I mean where you're trying to really figure out is what someone is claiming to be true about themselves, right? Uh, certainly if you're, if, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I have this every time I talk to my cable person or my cell phone person. <laughs> like, because I come home thinking I've got the deal of the century and then my bill comes in. I'm like, this is not what we talked about, right? <laughs> or buying a car sometimes. Or uh, certainly if you're, if you uh, are, someone who hires people for work, right? You're trying to, wow, they really claim to be able to move our company forward. Is that going to be true or not? Or, of course, the more, probably the obvious one will be <laughs> on dates, right? We're trying to figure out if the Romeo that this person claims to be truly is. I remember when Susie and I first started dating, it took her a while to realize that I really was as awesome as I claimed to be. <laughs> she got there, you know, uh, it didn't take that long, I guess. Clearly she got there, but... Um, there w <laughs> in all honesty, there was a time where she's like, yeah, we'll just see if this plays out or not, you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the, the reality is we find ourselves in, in positions like this on a regular basis, and the results of not being able to solve the puzzle or unravel the, en the enigma of, of, of stuff can be pretty significant. And I can't think of anything that's more significant than understanding the puzzle of Jesus and the claims that he made. And specifically this week, who did Jesus claim to be? That's the question we're going to be looking at. Who did Jesus claim to be? And I think it's followed, that's the first question that jumps to your mind, but it's followed by probably an even more important question. And that question is, not who, who did he say he was, but who do you say he is? Or maybe even another way to think of it would be, and what does that mean for you today in 2014, based on who you say he is? 
Certainly in Jesus' time, there was no shortage of opinions about who he was, and there still aren't. You know, many, many, many opinions. And I always say this when I teach, and here's the good news, that we're not the first people who have to sort this out. God's word has a ton to say about this, and I want to dive into it and kind of explore. Um, so uh, before we do, though, I just, I would love to, we're going to enter into this passage in, we find in John chapter 10. That's where we're going to start. But before we even dive into God's word, I just ask if you guys would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you. Uh, I love you, and I'm so thankful for the love that you have for us. I believe uh, all you claim, and uh, I just pray that in this moment, in this time, this short time that we have together uh, this morning, I pray that uh, you would enlighten us and that you would, you would prepare our hearts and soften our hearts to receive truth. I just pray that uh, you would lead us and you would reveal yourself to us and we would leave this place with great confidence in knowing who you are and who you claim to be and what the truth is about you. Meet with us this morning. We ask the Holy Spirit to have freedom in this place. We ask this in your name. Amen. So I have to come clean. First of all, I'm a little bitter that Dave got a, a tool uh, belt and I got a t-shirt. That doesn't seem fair. And Lad's wearing that, <laughs> that suit in the thing. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, uh, but there are a couple of things that I just, as we're talking about understanding who Jesus claimed to be, I think that there are just a couple things that, I, in honesty, uh, I have to tell you are assumptions that I'm going to make. And I'm going to ask you to make those assumptions with me. Okay? The first is this. There is a God. Okay? And the second one is this, that the Bible, God's word, is authoritative truth, and that's where we're going to go to find out who Jesus claims to be. There's also a third kind of conversation that we need to have, and that's this, that when you're trying to explore who Jesus is or any biblical truth, it's not just a test tube conversation. You can't boil it down into just a petri pan. It's not devoid of truth or not devoid of logic, but it's a spiritual conversation as well. And you see Jesus says this all the time, for him who has ears to hear. He's not talking about people who actually have ears or don't have ears. He's talking about people who want to listen to a spiritual conversation. And that's what a lot of this is today, in addition to just some factual stuff, okay? And so those are some assumptions we're making. And I would, just, I would, I would say this as well. If you're not in a place where you say, no, I believe God's word is authoritative and truthful. I don't, I don't believe there's a God. I'm going to ask you, just for the sake of this conversation today, will you just track along with me anyway and grant me those assumptions as we move into this? Because then we can have a different conversation, okay? Now let's look at John chapter 10, verses 22 through 38. And it's a long passage. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Starting in 22, it says this. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. 
Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And they replied, we're stoning you, not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus replied, it is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are God's. And you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called God's, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe in me. Then you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father kind of a lot. This discussion is probably handled better in a semester, but we don't have a semester. We have about 21 minutes. But I'm brilliant. Joking. Ask my wife. Not. Anyway, so let's just, I want to look at this passage, and let's be really clear what's happening here. I want to kind of look at this encounter. The first thing I want to be really clear about is this. Jesus claimed. He claimed he was fully God. And he does it multiple times in this passage. He says, the proof is in the work I do in my Father's names. I give them eternal life. He says, I and my Father are one. I am the Son of God. The Father is in me. I am him. He clearly says, I am God. So let's make no mistake about that. And that's actually what incited them to want to kill him, right? They said, you're claiming to be God. We don't believe you. And so they want to stone him. But let's just even look a little deeper into this, this uh, passage because oftentimes, I don't know if you, I, I, my guess is you probably have experienced this where you're reading through something and you're like, what in the heck is that? Like, what? Let's move to another passage that makes more sense, right? And you just plow through it and you don't make sense of it. I want to tell you that I think that's exactly the wrong thing to do. That when you come across something you don't understand, dive into it, look at a Bible commentary, which is just people, scholars who have written stuff that help you understand those specific things. And this passage in particular is chock full of some of these things. And what we can surmise from reading this passage is this, that the first half of John chapter 10 is two and a half months previous to this section. Okay? And that's kind of important because it establishes a few things. We know it happened at Hanukkah, and he's in the temple. And it's important because it establishes this two-and-a-half-month run where the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time have determined and plotted to take Jesus down. They've had enough. And during Jesus' ministry, which is kicked into gear, he has developed an insane posse, like thousands of people. No other religious leaders, no other rabbis at the time had thousands of people following him around. So now these Pharisees not only are jealous because of the popularity contest they're losing, but they're also jealous because these people have sway over the popular or the common opinion, right? They're believing something other than, than is being taught. And so there's a problem, and they've decided to embark on this. Now, we've seen over this time Jesus has done miracles. He's claimed in the past to be uh, his power received from God, and there's this, this growing tension between the two. Now, don't miss some poetry here. It says he's in Solomon's Colonnade. Great, big deal, right? Well, it kind of is. So Solomon's Colonnade is the outer court of the temple. Lots of rocks around. Comes in handy if you're going to stone someone. Secondly, Solomon's Colonnade is also called the Porch of Judgment, 
where previous kings would pronounce judgment on guilty. Hmm, interesting. Sounds like they have a plan. And it says that they surround him. Why do you surround someone? So they can't get away. And what they've done, they, they're like, it's time for throwdown. We got him, surround him. They've raised a mob. They get into the place where the rocks are handy, where they can stone him. And they go, right now, answer the question directly. Who do you claim to be? And they think they finally got him. And he says, quite plainly, I'm the son of God. And the question for all of us, there's so much more I could dive into this passage, but I can't for time. But you see quite clearly he makes the claim and it brings the, it, it incites the mob. Now, they don't kill him at this time. But let me ask you this question. Responding to the fact that Jesus claims to be the son of God, how do you respond? You know, if you ask people, how do you, what, what, do you, what do you do with Jesus? One of the most common responses is, he was a good moral teacher, misguided, good guy, not God. And you can find many, many, many uh, sightings in the Bible where other people claim that he is God. But this is a clear passage where Jesus Christ himself claims to be God. And it's very important. C.S. Lewis says this, and C.S. Lewis, just so you know, one of the greatest books you can, uh, first of all, C.S. Lewis is probably one of, one of, if not the best theologians of all time, and he's, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. If you don't have that book in your library, buy it and read it. It's amazing, 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 uh, just the way he can just put truth out there. I'm going to read a quote from that book, and it says this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said, that sort of, and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Three choices you're left with. He's not just a good moral teacher. He's either a liar unparalleled in his deception, the devil of hell, a lunatic on par with someone who claims to be a poached egg, or he is in fact who he claimed to be, God, Lord of all. And what I want to do is I want to look at three different groups here that I think sort of demonstrate what, what C.S. Lewis was talking about. And if you flip over to Matthew chapter 3, we're going to find another account, encounter with Jesus in the synagogue with some different people. So, and these three groups represent the liar, the lunatic, and the Lord, ship of Christ. And uh, let's look at this first group, the religious leaders, and they clearly say he's the liar, unequaled in deception, he's the devil of hell. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 22, and it says this, but the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out the demons. Clearly, the devil of hell is what they're calling him, right? 
Now he goes on in this encounter to say, well, this is, doesn't even make sense. So he just cast a demon out and they go, look it, he's got these magic powers. He does this stuff because Satan has given him these powers. And he's like, no, no, no. Why in the world it doesn't even make sense that I would cast out demons if I'm from Satan, right? And they, they go as far, the, the Greek word, when they talk about him being possessed, is echo, and it, it means not just possessed, it means like he is the spawn of Satan. They're, they're incited, and they're, they're definitely believing something that's not true, but they're also wanting to others to believe that he is not who he claims to be. You know, if you're on a date and someone is claiming all this stuff about themselves, you're not going, oh, good moral, yeah, they're good moral people. No, they're not. They're liars. They're deceivers. And the same is true here. And the religious leaders want to call the people to rally behind them to believe he's not who he claims to be. He's not God. He's a liar. The second group is kind of interesting, though, and we find this in the couple verses right before the passage we just read. That's his family. You know whose family think he is? A lunatic. His own brothers think he's lost it. Look at this. Verse 20 of chapter 3. Oh, and let me tell you this, by the way. <laughs> There's a joke. It says tell jokes. People like jokes. So here's a joke. Uh, the story is told of a, of a man in, in, a, in a mental uh, asylum, and he walked around all day saying, I am Napoleon Bonaparte. I'm Napoleon Bonaparte. I'm Napoleon Bonaparte. Finally, one of the other people there stops him and says, who told you you're Napoleon Bonaparte? And the guy looks at him and he says, God did. The other man looks back and he said, no, I did not. <laughs> You see, when someone claims to be God, they either are or they're not operating in their full mental capacity. And that's what his own family thought. Look at this in uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. It says this. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't find, even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. So the, first of all, the, word, the, word, the Greek word for tried to take him away is a custodial thing. They see what's going on, and again, there were literally thousands of people. You can look in Luke chapter 8. It's a parallel passage that talks about this. People were crowding in and mushing in. It was going nuts because the, 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 the people were following the circus sideshow to see all his miracles and crazy things he's doing, and it's so crazy in this house is getting packed, and they're like, he's lost his mind. We're going to go take custody of him. Like They're going to take him out of this situation because he's clearly not together. And the Greek word for out of his mind, cray-cray. <laughs> it's the Greek word. It's not really, but it means that. Okay? Existema is the word that means he's, they literally think he's gone crazy. And so they're coming to take him away. So his own brother and sister, his own brothers, they, they think he's nuts. Liar and lunatic. But you know what's interesting? There's a third group, not in this passage, but we see this throughout the Gospels. There's a third group of people who every single time they say, see Jesus and they encounter Jesus, they clearly understand he's the Lord of all and he is God. You know who that is? It's the demons. Every single time Jesus encounters Demons and demon possessions, they see Jesus and they call him who he is. Look at this. Mark chapter 1. 
And this is just, uh, there are so many encounters, but here's one. Mark chapter 1, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And you have one again in, in Matthew chapter 8, and there's these two guys that were demon-possessed and crazy. No one could go in the area, and Jesus comes and he sees them. And as soon as they see him, they began screaming at him, Why are you interfering with, with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us, uh, torture us before God's appointed time? Every time demons encounter him, they see who he is and they know it. And you want to know why this is, I believe? Now, the family... And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they're operating in the human, right? See, but the demons are operating, remember the ears to hear, the spiritual conversation? This is what's happening right here. See, demons are deployed by Satan with a specific command intent, and that command intent is to combat and destroy everything Jesus stands for. And they've seen his wanted poster in hell's post office. They've seen the pictures. They've been given all the intelligence they need by Satan to go take him down. And every time they see him, they clearly identify who he is and what his mission is. He is the Lord of all. See, this is important not only because it demonstrates his authority over evil, which it does. Every time he encounters demons, he has complete authority over them, and they have to do what he says, and they do. But it also demonstrates that he's not a lunatic. Because when you claim to be something and you have the goods to back it up, it proves you are, you know, if I claim to be LeBron James and you see me on the court, for a minute you might have some question. You see LeBron James on the court, you know he's, he's LeBron James. And the same is true of Jesus Christ when he claims to be God and he's the person who can turn water into wine. He's the person who can walk on water, calm the sea, make people who are crippled walk immediately. He can cure leprosy. He multiplies food. And over and over and over and over again, he showed the miraculous. But the second thing that not only does it demonstrate that he's got the miraculous goods to back up his claim, it also says he's not from Satan because he's doing the opposite of the intention of Satan. His mission is completely opposite. And so we're left with the reality and the fact that Jesus Christ was not a lunatic, he was not a liar, but he is in fact the Son of God. And this is the point where we have to decide what you're going to do with this truth. Remember that question, who do you say he is? Or more importantly, what are you going to do with that truth? And there are really only two options. Really there are two options. The first one is to reject it. And you can reject it on a few different levels. You could say he's a liar, lunatic. Okay, we've already had that discussion. But I'm talking about the person who's decided, yep, he's Lord. He's, he's God, okay? I think we've gotten to that point. And the decision you have to make is this. I know the truth. Am I willing, if he's really Lord of all, to make him Lord of all? It's interesting because not all of the religious leaders actually thought he was a liar or a lunatic. You find this in John 12. It says many of the people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders. But check this out. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. See, some of the people even believed that he was who he claimed to be, but because they feared losing what they possessed in the human world right now, my position, my stature, my leadership, whatever it is, finances, I don't know what they had specifically. They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. 
and they weren't willing, they just said, I, I refuse to, re I'm, I reject the truth. And so, I just got to tell you this too. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've come to the conclusion that he is who he claims to be, he is God, the son of, very son of God, here on earth, incarnate. If you, if you believe that he is that, then the only choice you have is to decide, am I going to be like the Pharisees and value my own life and my own stuff, or am I going to make him Lord of all every day, all day, in every decision of my life? And it's a hard decision every time. You know why? Because we're selfish people. And we've bought the lie that what this world has to offer is better than what Jesus has to offer. See, it says in James, even the demons believe, but what, what difference does it make? Nothing. They've just said flat out, I'm not going there. I have to submit when I, when Jesus, when I have an encounter with Jesus. I have to do what he says, but I'm not going to. I, I'm just rejecting it completely. The other option is just to receive the truth. You know, remember uh, when Jesus was on the cross and he died? Remember the centurion who was standing nearby? He was his job to uh, be on post at the, at the crucifixion of Christ, a brutal death. And he's standing there, and when Jesus dies, remember what he says? Remember his last words that the centurion is known for? Surely this was who? The Son of God. See, here's a man who had dedicated his life... <laughs> To something, and in a moment of clarity, realizing who God was makes a different declaration and changes his path. Remember how we talked about his brothers and his family thinking he was Greek word cray cray? Remember that? You know, the, we just talked about this a few months ago. You know who wrote the book of James? Jesus' brother. You know who wrote the book of Jude? Jesus' brother. See, what happens is when you're faced with the truth and you finally embrace what that truth is in your life, it radically changes the way you live completely. And people like James, who became the father of the early church, and Jude, who wrote, people who write books, they became world changers. Look at Paul. Remember the apostle uh, Paul? Pro believed he was a liar and a lunatic and all that kind of stuff. He's coming after the Christians to take them down, but he counters who Jesus really is in his life and what happens. His whole life is turned on its head. He becomes a different person, a world changer. Writes most of the New Testament. Because when we embrace the truth and receive it rather than rejecting it, it changes who we are. As we close out here, I just, just want to ask you guys, If you're a follower of Jesus and you feel like you believe who he is, who he claims to be, first question for you is, are you really letting him be Lord of all in your life? Are you really allowing him to be Lord of all? And if not, ask yourself some questions here. What are the things that are keeping you from letting him be Lord? Are you afraid, afraid of losing a relationship? Are you afraid that you might have to do some things differently in your life that you don't want to sacrifice? Are you afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue? 
Are you afraid business or something you're going to have to do differently that you don't want to, you're not willing to do and you're still believing the lie that what this world offers is greater than what Jesus offers? Because if you are, the moment you can lay those, identify those things and lay them down before Jesus Christ, your life will be different when he's Lord of all. So we close out this morning. We're not, I'm just going to ask you guys, and you know what, even before I do that, I just, and there are some of you who are here this morning and you're like, you know what, I just, I just have not even made that first step of claiming that Jesus is Lord. I haven't made that yet. I've just got to tell you, as we close out this service today, if that is you, please don't leave without making that decision. I would love to pray with you. We have a prayer team in the back, and we will have people up here at the front when we're done that would love the opportunity to pray with you and help you step into that first, the first, first step of the relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding what it means to put him as Lord of your life. And I, it will revolutionize how you live. It just will. We're going to close... I'm going to pray for us. You know, actually, as we, as we do close, I'm just going to invite our greeters to come down. And this is, you know, honestly, this is even another one of those things. We're going to take our offering. And just, again, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus and we claim to believe in him and claim that he's the Lord of our life, finance is one of those areas where we can really demonstrate that. We can demonstrate that with my wallet, I, I honor you, Lord. And so this is just another one of those opportunities. Would you pray with me, though? Heavenly Father, we love you dearly, and you love us more dearly than we love you. You sent your son to die on the cross and to face affliction and to face uh, conflict and to face all the difficulties that he had in the human so that we could know you more deeply and so that we, you could experience what we experience. And I just pray this morning as we're talking about understanding who you are, that we embrace the truth that you, in fact, are the Lord of all, God in the flesh came here to know us and for us to know him. Please allow us to embrace this truth and lead us into it. For those of us who haven't accepted Christ, I just pray that you would again soften hearts to be receptive to taking the first step of faith and understanding who you are and how you want us to live in accordance with your will and understand the beauty of knowing you fully. We love you and we ask this in your name.